Welcome to episode 81 of the Jackson Hole Connection, brought to you by the liquor store of Jackson Hole, serving the Jackson Hole community since 1983. Please visit thejacksonholeconnection.com slash TLS to learn more. Hello from Jackson Hole. I'm Stephen Abrams, your host and guide today. Each week I sit with someone connected to Jackson Hole to share their fascinating story about daily life. I feel we can all learn so much from each other, and I intend to search out people and their stories, which will teach us all a little bit about life outside of our everyday circle. Today's guest is Ann Fish. Ann is the author of the book, Risk Formation, a former flight attendant, a world traveler, and a motivational speaker. Ann will share with us what she has done in life to take risks and what she shares in her book, Risk Formation, on how to overcome the fear of taking risks. As you will hear, Anne has a personality which makes leaning into her message inviting and interesting. When Anne speaks, you just want her to keep telling you more and more. I know you'll take away so much from Anne's experiences, as I did, and I know listening to Anne will give you a sparkle of inspiration to take a risk today. Thank you for coming to join me here at the Jackson Hole Connection. Great to see you. Great to see you. So, Anne Fish. You've been here in the Valley for a few years. How did you land here in Jackson Hole? What is your connection? My number one connection really is your business partner at the liquor store. (laughs) (laughs) My favorite Uncle Rod. My uncle moved to Jackson in, I think, 1971. But my family came to Wyoming in the 40s. My grandfather was chief legal counsel for Marathon Oil Company. And so they based him out of Casper. And grandmother and granddaddy lived in Casper for many years. He actually, with some other gentlemen, started the junior college program in the state of Wyoming. So we have CWC here in Jackson because of my grandfather. Awesome. But then my grandparents ended up being, he was transferred to Houston with Marathon Oil. And my mother and father met on a blind date in Texas. So that's why I was raised in Texas. But every summer, we would get in that station wagon and drive to Wyoming to see family. So that's how I, well, so that's how I fell in love with Wyoming. Then I attended the University of Wyoming to be like my Uncle Rod. Mm -hmm. And then kind of lived all over the world and bought property back in this area in 98. Cool. Yeah. Nice family roots here. Lots of family roots here. Cody, Casper, Jackson. And you said that you've traveled the world. You do have an interesting history of traveling the world. How did you get to travel the world? Well, when I was young, I went to, well, I didn't get on a plane till I was 13, but which is ironic that I became a flight attendant later. But when I was 18, my parents sent me with my Spanish teacher on a trip to Europe. And I, it was just the taste of that that gave, it whetted my appetite to travel more. And so after college, when I had dreams of one career and apparently I didn't have enough experience, they said, go learn a foreign language or be a police officer, because I wanted to be in the Secret Service. Cool. I had done everything to be a Secret Service agent. And so I bought a one-way ticket to Spain. I was kind of devastated, actually. And my good friend said, move to Spain. You can teach aerobics or English or something. So that's how it started. And then I yeah, I lived overseas. I lived in Spain, Mexico, Hong Kong, England, Italy, seven years overseas in five countries. What took you to so many different places? Well, first was the goal of learning Spanish. Mm-hmm. So I taught English for two years in Spain. Then I came back and I was having a lot of fun traveling and the Secret Service said, come on. And I said, no, I 
think I'm going to move to Mexico and work with this large multinational company in sales and marketing. They had recruited me. So I moved to Mexico for two years. And then that was 94, 95. I heard about this job as a stewardess (laughs) and I became a flight attendant for United. So I worked for United based in San Francisco, Hong Kong, London, and then back to D.C., So that's kind of what took me some of those places. And then Italy came a little later. It was after I was already living in Jackson after Mm 9-11. And I was, um, yeah, recruited once again to go work for this cycling company in Italy, which was a hoot just for six months. But that's what kind of took me around. So you passed up on your dream of being a Secret Service. I did. Because you saw something different. I did. Was that a tough decision? It was initially, because I had done everything from eighth grade on, and I write about it in my book, Risk Formation, Taking Risks to Transform Your Life. But everything I had done from eighth grade on to be an agent. And the only thing I learned how to shoot, I was working on, you had to do 10 pull-ups. And for women, I mean, that's tough to Mm -hmm. do. So I I think I was up to six pull-ups. But yeah, when when I got back from that two years in Spain, I thought, I'm not sure I want to do this hardcore fight against always being in a male dominated career. I didn't I was kind of like I'm not sure I want to go against that now. I've found myself and I had confidence in myself and I thought I don't have to have that behind my name to be to be happy. So, yeah, I totally changed, shifted gears. I totally shifted gears. Good for you. There's- and years later, funny enough, I, you know, here I am volunteering and I got to drive in Vice President Cheney's motorcade here in Jackson. Mhm. And it was so interesting talking to some of the agents who said, you know, interestingly, they loved their jobs, but they didn't have a ton of time to themselves. And I ended up having a lot of time to myself to do explore and see different countries. So I was glad at that point, but it took like 20 years to run into somebody who could say, you know what, you did great. You did what you wanted to do. I I like to hear from people that you did what you wanted to do. And you took risk. Mm-hmm. And, and I love the title of your book. Tell, tell me again the title of your book. Risk Formation. So it's my word. Mm-hmm. I actually gave a speech, and I didn't come up with risk formation, but I had given a speech in Idaho Falls to a group of engineers. And this engineer comes up to me, and he's very analytical. He says, you really spoke about transforming your life through taking risks. He says, I think your book should be titled Risk Formation. <laughs> And I'm thinking, I've never heard of that word. I mean, he said, <laughs> you can use it. Use that. So that's the word. That's the book title. And when did you write your book? I started writing the book. Well, it took me about six months of, of writing every morning. I was just telling this story in, in my real estate meeting, actually. So I wrote every morning from nine until noon. Mm-hmm. And I would not turn on my email. I turned off my phone. And I was dedicated. I would sit there and just write. And I heard a f- Jody Picot, an author, famous author, speak. And she said, you can edit bad, but you can't edit blank. So true. And so I thought, I just have to write. Mm-hmm. So that process just was over a period of about six months, just writing. And what was your aha moment that said, I'm going to write this book? Wow, that's it. That's they're all good questions, Stefan, but that's a stumper. Nobody's asked me exactly. There, I don't know that I can really pinpoint it to one thing. Okay. But what kept happening to me was 
these, uh, as a flight attendant, these flight attendants would say to me, wow, you lived there? Oh, you, I mean, even we are in the same job and I took the opportunity or the risk to go transfer to Hong Kong. And they said, I could never do that. And I thought, why can't they do that? I wonder what's holding them back. So it was kind of a curiosity that made me start writing in the first place. Am I different? What is the, you know, what's the deal here? And then, and so it was going to be my memoir, if you will. People said, you need to write this down so we can read it. So I kind of started as just a memoir. And then I got curious, which that's, that's definitely one of my, my secret. I mean, that's kind of one of the things that keeps me going is my curiosity. And so I got curious and I thought, well, gosh, I bet other people are risk takers who've done risks, taken risks in other ways in their life, not just moving overseas at 22 on a one-way plane ticket. So I started... <laughs> So I started interviewing people and found that there were some similarities in our process of thinking and how we yeah, how we would analyze a risk and how we would decide when it was time to jump. So that's kind of, it started with friends always telling me, gosh, you've got this innate ability. And I said, I don't think it's an ability. I think it's a learned behavior. And, and so it just came from that. So give us an idea of what the reader will take out take away from reading your book? I've had people tell me that they, they felt like it was better utilized as a workbook because I, at the end of each chapter, say, okay, here's the risk formation recap. Mm -hmm. And I kind of recap and ask them some questions too about what are they doing in their lives. And so I've had readers tell me that it changed their lives because it made them think that, A, I'm not the only one who might be having questions about taking a risk or curious about how to take a risk. And, um, and then they've also said, B, that it was just inspiring because I'm not some, you know, NBA basketball player or, you know, I'm just kind of Ann. Just normal. <laughs> you are Ann. I'm just regular. I'm just a regular person. We, we all are regular, normal people. Right. It's, it's, I think what that is, you know, I'm not an NBA basketball player either, but it's just, I think it's a matter of what society puts on to that title or that position mm -hmm. and the pressure that comes with it that, yep. or that can be associated with it. But they're all regular people too. They are. Mm -hmm. They are. But I think society, you're right. They put this, you know, they put you in this level above. And I found it really interesting speaking to uh, the women at the women's prison, who I told you earlier that I've spoken to them and they kind of put me on this pedestal. And I think I, and I try to break it down. Don't put me on the pedestal. I know I'm not in prison, but I've made different choices. But let's just talk human being to human being. Mm -hmm. And they, they really, that resonates with them. They like to hear that I'm just, I'm real. I'm a human being. I'm just, I'm just here to share my experience with you and, and some hope, hopefully. So um, when you say the word risk, mm -hmm. I feel that that word risk means something different to to each person out there. Mm -hmm. For some people, it's it's a big deal, but for other people, it, it's just a small decision. And do you help people navigate as far as what risk means to them and how to um, make a decision to take what they consider being risk? Mm -hmm. I do. And that's one of the things that people like is because they never really, they just say, I think a lot of people dismiss it as, oh, I'm not a risk taker. So I'm not going to do that. And I kind of help them analyze, well, what does it mean to take a risk? And why is it that you're not taking a risk? But risk can mean something different to everyone. I mean, uh, 
to someone, to me, it would feel very risky to jump into Corbett's Coulard. I'm not that avid of a skier or that accomplished of a skier is probably a better word. We're the same skill level. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Take me down thunder any day, but don't put me on. Yeah. Don't put me at the top of court. My skis probably go more than about six inches off the snow. Yeah. And that's risky for me. And that's risky. Yeah, yeah. Corbett's no way, uh-huh. no way. So, but I do think that there's an element out there of people who maybe don't think that it's risky. And if they're not thinking and they're not afraid, then that's scary to me. And there's this whole group of young people who, and it's mostly young men, um, who may not analyze the risk. And you don't have to overanalyze it. I say in the book, don't don't get analysis paralysis thinking about, oh, is this risky? I mean, I see it in real estate. Oh man, it's risky to buy this million dollar house because boy, prices, you know, the market may tank with coronavirus or something may happen and oh my gosh, that's risky. So if you do the evaluation though, just like this person standing at the top of Corbett's, you evaluate and say, well, do I have the training? Okay, do I do I know, have I ever skied something like this before? Evaluate what it is that you're about to do. Um, if there's some fear, that's probably good because you have a respect for what you're about to do. And, and then you also have to know when you have to know when to jump, as I always say, but you always have to, you also have to know when not to jump. So one of the gentlemen I interviewed is a captain for United Airlines, and he's climbed Mount Kilimanjaro multiple times. He's climbed Mount Everest twice. And at one point climbing Everest, he said, we decided to turn around. And that was a tough decision for many in his group, but he said for him, it was the right decision. And there were some things that happened after that indicated that it had absolutely been the right decision. But he said he listened to his sixth sense. He had this kind of feeling. Um, So I talk about that also. It's important to to evaluate that risk. Yeah. Um, But not overanalyze it. Sure. Um, Yeah. Analysis paralysis can just get people stuck in time. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, in different situations. So you mentioned an important um, comment there just a little bit back is speaking at the women's prison. So Mm -hmm. you go to different organizations, businesses, works. You're a speaker. You have a Mm -hmm. speaker Mm -hmm. circuit. Mm -hmm. Tell me about what that is like. It is a lot of fun. It can be intimidating. I was asked to speak to the to a small business festival, all entrepreneurs down in Texas. And, you know, they're all risk takers. So you kind of think, well, what am I going to tell these people who are already risk takers? And that was my aha moment when I thought, you know what? I enjoy this, but I really enjoy speaking to a group of people who may not consider themselves risk takers. Like this group of women down in Pocatello, not at the prison. There's also a group of women, totally different demographic. They're probably 60 and older is the majority of this group. And it's a, it's kind of a faith-based women's group. And their risk is getting out of their comfort zone now that they're retired, or maybe they've never worked, their husband just retired. So they're trying to figure out, gosh, do I want to travel? Anyway, it's the speaking circuit is exciting. It's can be intimidating and it's also hugely rewarding. And I found the most nods that I got in the audience, the most standing ovations that I was receiving were from that underserved community. And I don't mean that these 60-year-old women are underserved, but people aren't ta- younger women aren't talking to them about doing something that's maybe a little scary. Mm-hmm. The other underserved community is the women at the women's prison. And I started that gig, if you will, because of Toastmasters. 
so Toastmasters International Public Speaking Organization, they started a Toastmasters prison club. No kidding. Yeah. And so these women are in that club and they have to accomplish certain things to be able to, to have the ability to go to the meetings. You know, they have to not be in trouble with the warden or whatever. Um, but they're working on their public speaking skills because when they get out, they are going to want to know how to interview for a job, talk to somebody in a customer service capacity. And so, and that is very scary. So they're working on their public speaking skills and they have me come in to talk to them about risk about every, it depends, six or eight months because the women change. Mm -hmm. And that is what lights me up. And when I, when I figured that out, I thought, okay, I've written this book. You know, you asked me earlier how many copies I've sold. I don't even know because it's not for me about like how many copies I've sold. I'm not doing it to beat my chest and say I'm a, you know, it did go to international bestseller on Amazon day one in 24 hours. Congrats. So that was fun. That was great. Thank you. And I did the Audible version. But it's not to me about that. It's about inspiring these people. And it's mm-hmm. mostly women who gravitate towards the, the message. And you just mentioned Toastmasters International. That mm-hmm. really helped give you the foundation for going out and being on a speaker series. Mm-hmm. You're the first person I've had on the show that has mentioned Toastmasters. Okay. So tell me more about what is Toastmasters and then how did it help you gain the skills to go out and be a speaker? Great. So Toastmasters International has been around for a hundred years or more. No kidding. Mm -hmm. They were started by a gentleman, Ralph Smedley out in California a long time ago. And it was originally probably all men and uh, kind of like some of these other organizations. Go figure, Rotary. Right, Rotary, any of these other, (laughs) which now they have the women's, you know, women are included. But it was to help these men who had to make an impromptu toast, for example, at a wedding, at anywhere, right? So you think about they've got to learn how to put their thoughts together to put, you know, in two minutes, put together a toast. So that's why it's Toastmasters. And now it is kind of morphed into this. I mean, it's it's just grown. So now it's helping people put together a presentation for your company that could be an hour-long presentation. It's really interesting how Toastmasters has grown now to include the media component. If you're doing a PowerPoint presentation, how to how to incorporate some great public speaking skills into a visual presentation that's on PowerPoint. So Toastmasters, I heard about it because my grandfather, this attorney, Mm -hmm. who I would think had great speaking skills, was a member of Toastmasters back in the 50s in Houston. And so I had heard about it for a long time growing up, but it wasn't until I decided I was going to write my book and I went to talk to one of my mentors and somebody I'd really admired. And... I said, tell me what you would do. And actually, I talked to two different people, a gentleman who's probably 70 now and a, and a younger woman. And they both said, join Toastmasters and hone your public speaking skills. So you hone your skills. The other benefit of going to Toastmasters is that you, uh, you know, we had a president, our president here actually um, was Bob Arndt. And Bob said this beautifully, and I don't know if this was an original, but Bob said, you know, we help you make Everybody has butterflies when they speak, and we help 
those butterflies fly in formation. Hmm. So you kind of get used to speaking, you're in front of people, you're practicing these skills, you're practicing putting your thoughts together and how to answer a question and stay on topic when Stefan asks you, <laughs> what's the benefit of Toastmasters? What have you learned? You try you have that in the back of your mind and then you go through the sequence of answering the question. And is there still a, a group that meets here in Toastmasters? There is, there okay. is. So we meet the first and third Thursday of every month. Right now we are meeting upstairs in the community room at Jackson Hole Grocer from noon to one. So it's a great group and people from all different industries. I love, we, we have these short answer, you know, it's kind of a fun, they call it table topics. So sometimes the question is, you know, what's your favorite memory of Christmas or of Valentine's day or your funniest first date story? And, you know, it's just a practice. So it's a quick snippet. And then we have people give long presentations and I always learn something because there are people in all different industries presenting. So I love that. And then we laugh a lot. It's just good. That's awesome. It's a good group. I just had an interview with somebody and we were talking about social groups and gosh, I feel as though that at times I feel frozen. I just don't know what to say to some people. And I feel intimidated because I'm around other very successful business people, more time on their shoulders than on their feet than I've had. And mm -hmm. sometimes I don't know what to say to them, but they're just down to earth people. Yeah. And he said a friend of his will go up to somebody and say, tell me what you're passionate about. As an icebreaker. I loved it. That is a great one. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And it's always to just keep asking them questions. I remember I gave a presentation to some, a couple different groups actually, not related to my book, but it was about networking, the power of networking. And it came to being because I was at South by Southwest in Austin, actually about four or five years ago. And some friends invited me to this networking event and it was all these coders and people who were in a business that I knew nothing about. And I got really good at asking questions and it was great practice to listen and then say, okay, so if I understood correctly, you say that you code and that blah, blah, blah. And I would basically kind of repeat what they would say and then learn. And that's, you know, people just want to talk about themselves. Mm -hmm. So if you give them an opportunity to speak about themselves or to, t yeah, tell me what you're passionate about then it kind of takes, they know that. If you ask them a question about, you know, their favorite wine and they're not wine connoisseurs, then they may freeze up. But if you ask them, what are you passionate about? Well, I'm actually passionate about beer. You know, they may say something totally different. So you're involved in so much, Anne. <laughs> Former stewardess, uh -huh. hopeful secret service agent, author, um, teach networking. What is, what do you not do? <laughs> You don't jump into Corbett's. I don't jump into Corbett's. <laughs> I don't jump into Corbett's. And, I, and I've sold real estate in Jackson and Teton County, Wyoming and Idaho since 2001. So when 9-11 happened, I left the airlines for four years. They said, we'll give you a four-year leave of absence, no pay, but you keep your medical. Oh, And nice. I said, I've got that. So I moved to my condo in, over in Driggs on Ski Hill Road. And I thought, okay, I'm here. What am I going to do? Kind of like when I got off the plane in Spain. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm here. Now what? And I interviewed with, I, I spoke to a couple of different brokers in real estate. Uncle Rod helped me with a couple of different introductions. But He's a networker. He's a networker, <laughs> big time. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, okay, I could see myself selling high-end 
real estate in Jackson Hole. And this gentleman who interviewed me said I could too. I said, okay, great. Then I want to start with that. And as we all have done, I don't know if you've done this. I had to get three jobs. You know, there were three jobs in the beginning. So I worked at Amangani as a hostess at nights. And I worked during the day at Chico's women's clothing store on the square. And after about three months, this broker of mine, who's, he's actually in Park City now, he said, I think you're going to do really well. You need to quit those other two jobs and focus. Mm-hmm. So you do say, you make a good point. I do a lot of things, but I have to retain that focus on what I'm really doing. So right now, for example, I am not, I am not even out there beating the pavement to do speaking gigs. They, if they contact me and it's something that I'd like to do, then I say, okay, and I give them the date. So the gentleman this morning just said, when can you come speak to the women at the prison? Really want to have you come back. So I'm going to give him, it's a Friday night and that's fine. But if I didn't have the focus to stay, you know, committed to the, to real estate, then I'm not going to do myself any favors. I'm not going to do my clients any favors. So I'm, I'm reading this, I'm reading a lot of books right now, but um, a book that's kind of about this, about just segmenting your time. Okay. So today, my time, normally on Mondays, I have other things going on, but I chose to take this opportunity to come chat with you because I think it's really beneficial. I think it's a great thing you've got going. You're helping us learn about other community members. And and so I take that 90 minutes out because it's travel time and everything else. And I put that 90 minutes later this afternoon. Well, thank you. Yeah. I I appreciate you taking the time out to come and share your uh, experiences with, with all of us. I'll be right back with Ann after this quick message from the show's sponsor. TLS, the liquor store. There's far more there than what the name says. TLS is Jackson Hole's premier stop for beer, wine, and liquor. We are locally owned and operated and have been helping customers plan weddings, birthdays, holidays, and dinners since 1983. We offer a memorable experience with friendly, thoughtful, welcoming service. Come by and meet our family of team members. Open every day. Albertsons is next to us. Visit the jacksonholeconnection.com slash TLS to learn more. Um, what book are you reading? If I tell you, I have to kill you. Okay. <laughs> I'm ready to die. No. To no. know. <laughs> um, I'm reading Ninja Selling. Ninja Selling. Okay. Yep. And it is fantastic. I've read a lot of books and I love books. But this book is just, it's right on. Do you have top five books? Ooh. Um, Big, two, tough one. Th- three or four of them were written by the same woman. So with my back, you know, with my interest in criminal justice, mm-hmm. there is um, a woman from 19, she was a model in New York City in 1940. Her name is Aileen, Countess of Romanones. Her first book was called The Spy Wore Red. Then she wrote The Spy Wore Silk, The Spy Went Dancing, and The Well-Mannered Assassin. So this woman was recruited by the, um, back then it wasn't the CIA. It was called the OSS Operations. Oh, gosh, I'm blanking on the name. But anyway, she was recruited by the, I think it was OSS. And then they sent her to Spain to infiltrate the upper echelons of Spanish society. Uh Uh-huh. She hung out with the Windsors, the Duke and Duchess of Windsor, all this. She became a CIA agent. No She's kidding. fascinating. It's, it's historical fiction. So anything that's kind of along those lines of historical fiction where I can learn something and be kind of entertained, I enjoy books like that. And I, yeah, I, I read a lot of nonfiction too. So, What are some nonfiction you've read? Um, what are some of my favorite nonfiction? They're all books about like sales, marketing, um, 
see with the top, you know, things like that. Um, That's Zig Ziglar. In Zig it. Ziglar. Yeah. I love Zig Ziglar. Is what, this... what is your water bottle sitting on? Oh, see you at the top. <laughs> <laughs> see you at the top. Yeah. I've seen Zig Ziglar. Have you really? Before he died. And uh, just watching that man mm-hmm. jump across the stage. Oh, and um, um, Roan. This is going way back, though. I haven't read Jim some Rohn? of it. Jim Roan. Yeah, he's uh-huh. fantastic. Okay. I've seen him speak and read some of his stuff. But Zig Ziglar, fantastic. Um, yeah, all those kind of sales trainers. And this is stuff that I read when I was working for that big multinational company in Mexico. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, some of the training that we had was with those types of people. That's where I saw Zig speak. Why do you keep reading to learn? What is what is your reasoning behind that? Everybody has their own reason. Yeah, my reason is because, well, I'm curious and I know I don't know all the answers. And so if I can get better and if it's just one nugget that I can take away from another person, another author, and in, kind of somehow utilize that in my life, then I don't know. It's exciting to me. It's exciting to learn. I I tell people I can never die because there are too many things that I want to do. I mean, I just, I love exploring. I mean, that's part of the travel thing, right? I mean, I Mm -hmm. love exploring. I think I've been to 45 countries. Um, Their friend just said, well, my boyfriend's been to 118. And I thought, okay, well, that's someday, you know, I want to go to 118 (laughs) also. It's just, why do I keep learning? I'm I don't want to be stagnant. Yeah. And I mean, it's it makes my brain hurt. I just came back from a conference and they're talking about all this new technology that we can use in our business. And and it's fantastic. But yeah, you kind of have to say, I can't use all of that in my business, but I'll try to use some of it. I agree with you. Why do you like to learn? I, I still use the book, you know, a daytime or an actual book. I mean, I have things on a digital calendar, but mm-hmm. I love being able to write it down because my mind... Mm-hmm. The way it works, if I write something down, yeah. I'm more inclined to remember it yeah. versus if I'm typing it. And I just don't want to be attached to the computer screen all day long. I don't either. Yeah. I don't either. You know, it's funny when you ask me what some of my favorite books. I mean, I have uh, on my desk, I had Dr. Seuss, Oh, the Places You'll Go. I mean, mm-hmm. silly little, you know, and the little engine that could. Yeah. Things like that kind of inspire me to reread. Mm-hmm. They're kids' books, but every now and then I'm like, okay, I'm going to read that. But they have great lessons. Great lessons. They're Green so eggs simple. And ham. Yeah. It's try something new. Try something new. Yeah. Absolutely. Don't just think, oh, because it's, I don't know it, that yeah. I'm not going to try it. Yep. We talk about that at our dinner table a lot. You do? Oh, yeah. With your little ones, With right? Six and four, <laughs> green eggs and ham. You yeah. better believe. And oh, the places you go. Yeah. Read that Love to that. them. Love that book. We read a lot in our household. You do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wish when I was, say, in my 20s and in college that I actually read. Yeah. I didn't. Okay. It would have opened my I was always curious and wanted to know things, yeah. but I would not commit to learning. I had the perspective that I'm not a good reader, mm-hmm. so versus to become a good reader, I need to read. If I want to be a reader, yeah. I actually need to read, Yeah. Exactly. versus I had the perspective, I'm not good at it, so I'm, why do it? You know, it's interesting because I was told that I wasn't that great at reading comprehension either, and so I didn't read a lot in college. And when I moved to Spain, my roommates were German, these two German girls, and I thought, wow, they know more about American history than I do. So I called, or actually, I didn't have a phone in my apartment, so I wrote my mom a letter, probably mom and dad, hey, can you send me an American history book? And they sent me a book. They mailed me Mm -hmm. a book because I just felt like I missed out. I mean, I just wasn't that, that educated on it. 
So that's why I wanted to read too, is I thought, you know what, if I keep reading, then I'll learn more. Yeah. And I'll be more interesting. I like to be interesting. I love, that's to me the biggest compliment somebody can give me. Mm -hmm. Wow, you've had such an interesting life. And I think, bam, that's what, and I had written it down. I found some old goals from years when I was a little girl. I want to be interesting. So you, you write goals. Oh, yeah. Still? Big goal. You write BHAGs, big, hairy, big, audacious goals. Yes. Jim Collins. Yes, Jim Collins. <laughs> yeah, totally. I write everything down. What type of time frame do you set goals? Well, I have short term. You know, I have like this week, I've got my goals for this week. Okay. Okay. I've got up to about five years, but then in my long range, I mean, and I, these I haven't written down recently, but I have the long range goals for when I'm 80 and how, what I'm going to be doing, walking down the beach, holding hands with my husband right? Um, riding bikes, doing, you know, and I think about that kind of stuff. And it's funny, I went back, I mean, when I go back and look at goals that I had written a long time ago, I mean, the other day I was thinking, gosh, you know what? That's interesting. We had a Ferrari. And when I was in college, I was like, someday, you know, now I don't know that I wrote that one down, the Ferrari part, but yeah, here I am. Okay. We don't have the Ferrari anymore, but my point was, you know, weigh this amount, work out this often, do that. So, Week-long goals, you know, what are things going to look like in a month, a year, five years? I actually just wrote down my next five years financial goals, which is just a tiny bit of, that's that's a tip off the iceberg. It's mm-hmm. not just all about money. But I did write those down because I was in an environment where that was kind of what we were talking about. But you write down goals too? I do. We is have this a, your? This is for the store, for the liquor store. Mm-hmm. And it's the one-page strategic plan. We have 25-year, uh, three-year annual plan and quarterly plan and then my quarterly plan. Okay. And we're getting ready to meet next week. So this has always been done by me. So next week we will get the team together and that'll mm-hmm. be the first time that they actually help develop uh, the next quarter plan. So Q2 for 2020. That's huge. So I'm, I'm getting excited. And right behind you is the flywheel for what we have, which drives our success for the business. Good to great. That's yeah. another great book. Fantastic great. book. Oh, fantastic yeah. book. I'd like to reread that. There's so many books that like I want to reread. So this is your flywheel. Yes. And is that, do you feel like as a manager, as an owner, as a leader in your organization that you have to kind of encourage or impose upon your folks that you're working with to, to, to buy into that, to follow it? Or do you think that they see the value of it and they jump right on board? I feel that the story and how you share information Mm. gets them to lean in and it's up to the individual. And I feel as though when the individual will lean in, they'll see the value in it. I got it. Versus kicking and screaming Mm -hmm. or pushing back and not wanting to do it. And some people jump in right away. And this sounds wonderful. Early adopters. Early adopters. And some people don't. And some people realize, hey, this is not for me. So I'm going to go someplace else, which we try to screen well enough during the hiring process to where that doesn't happen. That's good. But people want information and they want to be treated as though that their information and thoughts are valued as well. Right. So sharing my thoughts and ideas is important, but also hearing theirs because Mm -hmm. that's what's going to help drive it. Well, the team, Mm -hmm. exactly. So everybody together, everyone achieves more, right? You've heard that. And Mm -hmm. so if the team listens to your ideas, they give you theirs, you guys all agree, you move forward towards that quarter, month, whatever. Mm -hmm. Right now we're in the process of launching, getting into the great game of business and launching that into our system. Oh, I don't know about this. Which is through Jack Stack. 
Um, and SRC uh, Springfield Holding Companies. Okay. Um, they remanufactured engines. It's a great story. I'll give you the. I'll show you the book. That, yeah. Yeah. Like, that you yeah. Can read. But it gets people to buy in. People own what they help develop, what they help design. Very true. And we start teaching them the finances of the business. So instead of saying, hey, you need to sell more, well, why do you need to sell more? Or let's keep an eye on our costs. Well, how can they keep an eye on the cost? Or if they break something and don't tell us about it, well, it doesn't get written down and documented properly, and how will that impact them? How will it impact their paycheck? Boy, I used to always think about this on the airplane. So because I had had my own business, a small mm-hmm. business, right, before I started flying, though, but... I would see these flags. I would think about it. I think, gosh, okay, should I use, if I spill coffee, should I use the branded United Airlines napkins or should I use the paper towels? It's probably going to be a lot less expensive for the company to use the paper towels. And these other crew members just wouldn't get that. They wouldn't think about it. And and there was also the, there was the, you know, them versus us mentality. Well, they, management, you know, don't care. I don't care because they don't pay us enough. And I kept thinking, boy, if I do a good job, if I try to save the company money and I'm nice to the passengers, then I am going to get paid better. It, It just, I don't know. It was a different mentality way of thinking. But yeah, buy in. That's interesting. The airlines could use you <laughs> as a consultant. Uh, uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> or just read the book. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah, just read the book. Interesting. Yeah. We can learn so much from others. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Cool. This has been spectacular, Anne. Oh, good. I, I really appreciate this. Yeah. So if people wanted to find your book, what are the channels to do that? So for the book, you can you can go to my website. It's just annefish.net. A-N-N-E-F-I-S-H.net. Get it? Fishnet? Yep. Okay, you catch a fish. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> and they could just Google Ann Fish Risk. If you if you Google that, you'll find me. And I don't really do Twitter. I I use LinkedIn quite a bit. Cool. And I use Facebook actually more than I use LinkedIn. But LinkedIn, I think, is a little bit... I like LinkedIn, so I'd mm-hmm. like to use LinkedIn more. I, I need to learn how to use LinkedIn a little bit more. And there, there's um, always something for us. There's to learn. always something social media. <laughs> they can also email me just ann at annfish dot net mm-hmm. or find me on LinkedIn. Okay. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Ann. All this right. has been spectacular. Oh, well, I've enjoyed it too. And I always learn something too. So I learned about the flywheel. Uh huh. How you use the flywheel. Yeah. And now you gotta show me this book. I will do that for sure. All right. Well, drive safe. Thank you. And have an awesome day. All right. You too. Thank you. Thanks, Stefan. To learn more about Anne and her book and speaking engagements, please visit the JacksonHoleConnection.com episode number 81. Please do share this episode with some friends and family. Get the word out. Have some fun. Be happy and share a smile today. Thank you for the support of my wife, Laura, my boys, William and Lewis, Michael Morey, Luke Taylor and Tana Hoffman. I sure hope you've enjoyed this episode, and I really look forward to seeing you back next week for the next episode of the Jackson Hole Connection.